0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Mark, it's an honor to have you back with us.
1: Ah, It's great to be here again, Dan.
0: Well, it's no surprise, I suppose, seeing that you're here. Uh, Today is Reformation Day, the 31st of October, um You know when I was a kid, I think we mentioned um Halloween more than we mentioned the reformation i was I was on the periphery, if you will uh pastor Mark uh I was in a church that um really could trace its way back to the Reformation, but it wasn't self-consciously reformed. And uh, it was only later in life when I started to appreciate the rich, richness of the there Reformation, is. you know. So,
1: um, yeah, I think that's a sad thing. It, it really, I think it is, I, I, I get it that Catholics are not going to celebrate the Reformation. Oh, sure. But sure. at the same time, if you look at history – Between when Jesus Christ came and lived, and today, Mm -hmm. there's nothing more significant
0: that occurred than the Reformation. It really is a big deal, and and, uh, maybe today we can... Look at some of these forgotten truths. Uh, they may be fresh in some minds, but in others, maybe they've kind of like fallen by the wayside. And what they are basically are biblical truths. Tie it in with the history of the Reformation, perhaps. Um, we always look back to um, this particular day because of Martin Luther. Martin Can you? Luther, nailing the 90,
1: yeah. 95 theses on the Wittenberg door. It's It's interesting to look at Martin Luther it's also it's good to give you some context Mm. when you look at what had happened to the church the church uh, grew and it it grew in power and over the uh, 1500 years since the church had started a lot of bad doctrine had gotten into the church Mm -hmm. and the, the church let's say be frank about this. The church was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah, in the 16th century, mm-hmm. uh, basically the whole concept of the the church was that the church was the mediator between you and God, and that mediated uh, between you and God by a system called the penitential system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They would give you penance to do, and then you had to do your penance. Now, I may be oversimplifying this, but the basics are, are really there, and it's not hard to understand how this can come in, because if you ask anyone today, a man on the street, the vast majority will say, you know, if you were to ask them, if you were to stand before God today, and He should say, "Why should I let you into my yeah, heaven?" Yeah, that's the question. What what would they say? And the vast majority would say, "I try to do more good." than bad
0: yeah that's about it in other words my my good outweighs the bad uh, if i I put it on a balance hopefully the good is a little bit heavier and hopefully that will weigh in the direction of making me right with god but that is not how we obtain righteousness is it
1: no no but that's where luther grew up and that was the whole system he grew up in and of course back then i mean we have people who are afraid of the COVID 19 the Wuhan virus, mm-hmm. and so we have people here. But guess what? The vast, vast majority of people who get this virus recover from it. Luther yes. lived in a time when people died for many reasons. He cut his foot once with his sword, mm-hmm. and he got very sick because of that. He was afraid of dying. He was in school. And his father wanted him to be a lawyer. His father was a, was a minor. He he had mm-hmm. done very well, and he wanted his second son Martin Luther to be a lawyer. He's coming back from a holiday, headed back to school. He gets caught in a thunderstorm. <laughs> Bold lightning strikes him. He's so afraid. He's on his face, and he he prays to Saint Anne. Saint Anne, I will become a monk. Isn't that interesting? You know, of course, St. Anne, a lot of Protestants don't know who the saints are. St. Saint Anne is Mary, the mother of Jesus' mother, mm-hmm. and she was a patron saint of minors. And, and so okay. he he made that plea, and he did. He went into an Augustinian monastery. So he became a monk. Yes. To try to be good enough.
0: To be acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. I wonder if our listeners have ever felt that way where I'm going to try extra hard today. I'm going to try to be good enough to be acceptable to God. And you know, it's good to work at our sanctification, but if we're not born again to begin with, <laughs> that's kind of a problem, isn't it? it? It's an absolute problem.
1: And Luther once said later, he said, if any monk could be saved by their monkery, it was me. <laughs> oh, be- yes. Because he was. The epitome of what a monk should be. He did all the things. He stayed up late at night. He did everything he was supposed to do, and then some. The problem was he'd come to the confession, and he'd start confessing. (laughs) And he'd confess. And he'd confess. No end to it. And poor Stoutputs, you know— who was uh, he? The priest. He was. Him? He was the head of the Augustinians there, <laughs> and, and Johannes Stoppetz, you listen to him, and I, I always give this example. If you know the old uh, movie uh, Columbo, mm-hmm. you remember that old series. Oh yes, one more he thing. Somebody, yeah. He he'd be asking <laughs> questions, and as soon as he started leaving, he said, "One more thing. Oh, just <laughs> one more question. You know." And this and this was Luther. He'd get. Done with his confession and start leaving. Oh, Whoa, wait, wait a second. One more thing I need to confess. Mm. In 1510, there was some business that needed to be taken care of in Rome. So Staupitz sent Luther. He thought it would do Luther some good, and I think he probably thought it would do him some, Staupitz, some yeah. good, because he wouldn't have to listen to his, his confessions. So anyhow, he sends Luther to Rome. And Luther gets to Rome, and there's two thoughts in Luther's head. When he gets to Rome, here he's in the Holy City. And a couple things he really notices once he gets in the Holy City. He noticed there's a lot of brothels Uh-oh. and a lot of things. And he soon realizes they're for the priests. Oh, no. No, yeah, no, no, Yeah, no, no. the immorality was rampant. But they had all these things where you could do penance to get relatives out of purgatory
2: Hmm. and
1: so he was one of his thoughts was he wished his parents were already dead (laughs) oh dear so he could get them out of purgatory (laughs) because here he was in the place he said well i'll do it for my grandparents and but the other thing was when he went up the stairs supposedly they had the same stairs that jesus went up to before Pontius pilate twenty eight hmm. steps and he's going up pr- saying his prayers saying his prayers, and he gets to the top, and he gets the what they call an indulgence. you know here you have earned somebody's oh dear removal from purgatory from this, and Luther takes it and he says to himself, "But is it true mm mm-hmm. is it true?"
0: So he starts to have doubts. Oh yeah,
1: he has yeah. these doubts. So he gets back and then he he starts studying and he, Luther understand Luther was brilliant. He was a he was a first-rate scholar mm-hmm. and he's studying the scriptures. And the thing is now he's studying the scriptures in Greek and in Hebrew. Mm. In their original languages. And one of the biggest problems That Luther had was the Roman Catholic Church for for many years since about 400 A.D. when Jerome translated the Greek into the Latin. This is called the Vulgate. Mm -hmm. The Vulgate, he has the Vulgate. And they translated the Greek word metanoia. And the way that Jerome translated it was he used a word that meant to do Repentance, in other words, to do penance hmm. in fact the the Greek term Metanoia has nothing to do with your actions, but it's a change of mind hmm. a real repentance, and so Luther's always trying to do penance, do penance, and he finally realizes that's not what the word really means; no. it means to change your mind. And to trust in God. Yeah, there it is, yeah, and, the and new he, birth. He comes to faith. He says, before that, he said, Love God. I hated God. Mm-hmm. He was righteous. He was going to send me to hell. And, sure. and I never knew whether what I did was enough. And so finally, he comes to this point through studying, especially Romans and giving lectures on Romans and Galatians in Wittenberg. And he is really, like I say, he's a brilliant scholar. Yes. And Frederick the Wise, this is his university, and he realizes he's got a guy here that's really, really brilliant. And so suddenly we have this guy by the name of Johannes Tetzel who's selling indulgences. Well, the selling of indulgences is because the pope Needs money to build St. Peter's Basilica, <laughs> right. and and he has this. He's a marvelous salesman. He probably has some play going on, and, and and showing how the people at Purgatory are suffering, and and then he comes to this. But you buy this indulgence, and when the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from Purgatory springs. And so people were buying these indulgences and Luther heard about this. See he, he, he Tetzel never got into Wittenberg itself, but the outlying towns he got was in Luther was outraged. Sure. He had, in fact thought the pope would be on his side. And so he nails these 95 theses. Now the funny thing about the 95 theses is that Luther intended them to be for a debate, scholarly debate. Yeah, this is what the scholars did, right? They they yeah. nailed things up? Yeah, and he nailed it. But his 95 theses he had written were in, in Latin. One of the printers looked at it, and he said, we're ah. translating this into German, and we're oh. spreading this everywhere. So that's what he did, and that's – everything exploded then. That was a big deal. Yeah, then the all the people could start reading this thing and, and realize – you know this guy's making some sense,
0: yes, and, and so that was the beginning of
1: of what we call the Reformation.
0: do you think we see a principle here um the the time frame I just looked it up to make sure was 1517 1517 Uh, that's that's a lot of time from the time when Jesus was here and I like to think in terms of um, an analogy to help me grasp it I wonder if there's kind of a spiritual entropy that's gone on where things become more disorganized less um, less right and things start to crumble over time and I wonder if our own spiritual life is that way if we don't take to the things of God on a daily basis, we too can start to crumble. That's exactly right. And it is. And what keeps us back? See, now what's happened
1: here with this three years ago, we celebrated the 500th anniversary. Right. But a lot of stuff happened afterwards. Yeah. You know, so 1518 comes along and Luther has a disputation in Heidelberg. And he's really forming his theology. His theology hadn't fully formed yet. Hmm. He was still believing in purgatory at this point when he nailed Mm -hmm. the 95 Theses. But as he's studying scriptures, he's saying, well, well, I don't see this in scriptures, you know? And so he has has a a little disputation there. And then the year later in 1519 – there's other things that happened there, but – Let's cut to the chase here. 1590, he has this big disputation with Johannes Eck, who is a great uh, scholar. Mm -hmm. He is also – had been a friend of Luther, but he's also a a great debater. And uh, he initially was debating Andreas Karlstad. Karlstad was kind of a little slow on the stick, and Eck really wanted to debate Luther anyhow. So the debate is not like the presidential debates.
2: Hmm.
0: This debate lasted 18 days. So this is serious stuff here. This is Eleanor. serious stuff and it's, it's not just surface name calling right. and, and weighted with a bunch of lies from one side. And so Eck
1: gets the rules changed and this really knocks out Andreas Karlstedt cuz Karlstedt is a guy who brings a library into the debate. <laughs> <laughs> and when a question is asked he says, "Wait a second, let me start looking things up." And he's and Eck is like, no, 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 we we have to have this. So got rid of all the books, and then he's got Luther before him. Well, Luther's a sharp cookie. Mm-hmm. He doesn't – he may not know Peter Lombard and some of the more recent scholastic scholars as good as Eck does, but he knows the Bible a lot better than Eck does. That's what's key. And yeah. he knows the early church fathers better than oh, Eck. Yeah. And so they're going back and forth. And the funny thing is, you know, the debate was never – there are two universities that were to vote on it. It was two years later that before they, they actually voted and said that Eck won. But <laughs> like they said, as far as the people were concerned, Luther had won. Yeah. And so what is happening in all of this? Now we're at 500 years. This year, it's 500 years. On October 10th, 1520... Eck is knocking at the door of Martin Luther, and he hands him a paper. It's called exerge domine. Hmm. You know, oh, Lord, arise, the wild boars in your vineyard. And, of course, <laughs> the pope is calling <laughs> Luther the wild boar. He gives him 60 days. 60 days he's got to recant, oh, or yes. else he's being excommunicated from the church. Uh-oh. What does Luther do? He responds. He burns the bull. He burns the canon <laughs> law. And I just want to read a few things in the back, which is very important because it speaks to your question, Dan, about how easily it is. Yeah. He, in, in the last uh, – he has 30 points here, but the last three, I'm just going to hit the the heading. He makes his useless laws equal to the gospel – And to Holy Scriptures, as he repeatedly indicates in the decretal. And then he says, the Pope has the power to interpret and to teach Holy Scriptures according to his will and allows no one to interpret it otherwise than he wants. Hmm. And finally, he says, the Pope does not derive authentic existence, strength, and dignity from the Scripture, but the Scripture from him which is one of the main articles. So you see what he's saying. The Pope is putting himself over the Scriptures and not under the Scriptures. Oh, yes. And that's the key. Luther's finally forming, and he's saying the only way we know God,
0: the only way we know truth is the Scriptures. Yes, now, that's really important, and uh, I time is flying by here. We've got another seven minutes left, and that's it. Um, suppose somebody's listening today, and um, they've been in the church all their lives, but they've never really read the Scriptures. Any advice where to start? Really well,
1: practical? Well, uh, the practical thing, I would say,
0: is start reading the
1: Gospel of
0: John. Gospel of John. Yes. All right.
1: Gospel of John. Some people start with the Gospel of Mark, but mm-hmm. uh, I think it's very important. Also, there are reading programs that you can find online, and uh, I have a little app on my phone. That's how I do my devotions. That's good. That's good. And, and the way I read it, I, I read through at least uh, the complete
0: Bible once a year. Oh, Wow. That's and really impressive, actually. Actually, so, I don't think so. <laughs> so you're reading, you're reading God's word, and you're chew- it's important. chewing on it. It's that and important. You know yeah. what I did this morning? Uh, this is a little bit off subject. I I had a on my phone. I've got the Psalter. You know the, oh, the yes. Psalms. Yeah. And when you when you go to like Psalm two or whatever, uh, you can hit a button and it will play the tune that's associated with that Psalm. Really, and, and many times there's multiple tunes, and so in your head you can kind of read. The metrical psalm, and you kind of hear the music, and you're almost like singing in your head. I need to do that a lot more. I just started it this morning, in fact. Yeah. And I, I thought, wow, this is this is kind of fun because you're getting God's psalter in in your mind, in your becoming your warp and woof. Now we we start off mentioning that there are basically heirs of the Reformation, if you will. Yeah. And we often will forget we we kind of we kind of. Um, fall apart over time and so we need this We need this Bible reading we also need to come under the preaching of God's word That's right. in fellowship with his people and partaking of the sacraments can you encourage us that way as well? Yeah.
1: This, is, this is I mean you just go back to the Old Testament you can go back and we remember uh, good king Hezekiah and then of course his son took over and he was an evil king And his son, was Manasseh, was not a good king. And then suddenly we have Josiah, the last good king of Judah. And what happened? They discovered the Scriptures. Amen. And as soon as they started reading the Scriptures, he said, Wow, we haven't been living like this. We need to repent. Mm -hmm. And so that's the key thing. Focusing on the Scriptures, making the Scriptures uh, preeminent in our everyday life. Yeah. So we live it. And, That's and, a good so, point. and so, one of the things that a lot of the early reformers, you know, John Calvin, of course, he was just focused on the scriptures. And then, after reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures, both Luther and Calvin and a
0: lot of the early men said, you know, let's help distill this. The Bible's a long book. In practical ways to get your arms around it quickly, right? And, and I know where you're going with this. If I may jump in here, go and, ahead. And one of those little helps is the shorter catechism. The, the shorter catechism. <laughs> Luther had his, and Westminster,
1: which yeah. is a, about a hundred years later. Later, okay. They had theirs. And where's
0: the Heidelberg fit in?
1: The Heidelberg is in between. Okay. The Heidelberg came before Westminster. Um, I believe right at the end of the 16th century, if I'm okay. not mistaken.
0: Now, these uh, are beautiful, beautiful yeah. tools. Um, on the Covenant Home on Monday through Wednesday, right now we're reviewing the shorter Catechism. It's set up for um, a family having devotions, and you know we read that and then read the Scripture, and it's rather rich, and it's in simple. Uh, simple terms that the kids and myself included can understand. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, Now seeing that we're running out of time here I I, I can't resist to mention something really quick. You've mentioned before on this program the effect the Reformation had on the formation of the of America. Can you just quickly comment on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A a lot of people, you know and, and sadly I think it's mostly taught in in our uh, schools and even the universities that the philosophy behind the uh, American uh, experiment, experiment, if you will. Experiment. I was going to say that, and I wasn't sure that I should say it. Oh, The American no. experiment was the uh, Enlightenment. I've it, heard that. It was not. No. It was the Reformation. It was the Reformation. Just a, a few years before the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Uh, Just a few years before that, in in the 40s, um, all the way through the 1740s, what we call the Great Awakening. And the people, again, were being awakened to what the Scriptures had to say. The gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose three days later. And that alone... It is the only way to God by it is. by gr- by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. That's the only way to God, and that's the Reformation message and right there a in a nutshell. And that's the Reformation message right there. And we know God through Scriptures alone, and yes. and how to live through uh, Scriptures alone. So we have all these things that are happening. And so the American Revolution came out of that. All of these things came out of that, and and scriptures have been highly dynamic. I mean, Luther's translation was the most formative thing for the German language today, Mm -hmm. as as is Tyndall's translation of the -hmm. Bible was formative for the English language today. But you have this thing where, yeah, our founding fathers were really dependent on the reformation and we see this even in our form of government you know if you look at the presbyterian form of government oh, yeah. which is garnered from the from the bible you know elders and deacons and and uh, you know that kind of thing you
0: have representatives there that our, in, in our, the form of those exactly, elders don't you
1: in and, and our representative form of government Mirrors that very closely. It's very interesting. It's not hierarchical like the Catholic Church. Yeah,
0: that, that's really helpful. And uh, um, you know, we obviously we're right before an election here, but that, I want to have a play on words here as we end. Uh, Martin Luther wrote a huge treatise uh, about election. And that's the spiritual election that God does with His people, mm-hmm. and so that that's um, that's something to keep in mind. The, these Reformation truths, uh, the foundation of America, uh, the fact that we have a chance to choose our leaders, and yet um, in Christ, God has chosen us, yeah. and He's made us His own. Now that's a form of election that uh, you can take that to the bank <laughs> that's right that's hey, the most ele- important uh, election of all it yeah. is <laughs> hey we're, we're out of time today we've been talking with pastor mark Diedrich. if you wish to contact us just use the station's email address ministry at redeemer broadcasting.org we'll get your note to mark and he can answer any questions that you have he loves uh, to answer questions um, mark thanks for joining us Thank you, Dan. And for Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.